Grace, mercy, and peace to you from the Lord God and our coming Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. That portion of God's word for our enlightenment and encouragement and giving us something to look forward to is taken from our epistle reading from the book of Revelation, chapter 21, 9 to 13, and 22 to 27. We've heard that read already. One last, no one lasting thing, the gates for God's people. We're talking about heaven here. What's your vision of heaven? Pearly gates, golden gates? I doubt whether it's uh, people floating on clouds like some advertisements you know, try to... Uh, talk about or show this concept of heaven. But what is your vision of heaven? Have you thought about it? My dad used to tell me that uh, his vision of heaven is not one where there's a crowded banquet or all kinds of noisy people around, but one who likes to hunt and fish, uh, kind of a serene scene, you know, where the woods are out there and, and a nice creek flows through the area. What is your vision of heaven? If you are familiar with the Bible book of Revelation, you know that the Apostle John was given by God a vision of the end times, including heaven. If you're not familiar with the uh, book that the Holy Spirit enabled John to first see and, and then write down, perhaps has you a little confused or perplexed this morning. For all of us, let's ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten us, to open up our eyes and our minds and our hearts, to develop a more clear vision of heaven. As we enter into that portion of the church year, which is called the end times, think about one lasting thing, the gates for God's people. It seems that these gates to God's people lead to a city fit for a bride. We're first int introduced to the bridegroom. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Now first and foremost, we need to remember that in a very unique way, God is sharing truths through, to John through a, a vision. To have any chance of understanding this correctly, we need to realize that a vision is, is one in which there are things shared in a symbolic way. So a lot of symbols and figurative Pictures or language will be used. Maybe it's kind of like going into a foreign country and, and you know, you're driving your car out of the airport and you see this symbol on a, on a road sign, but you don't have a clue what it means. So you scramble and you, you pull the, uh, the book out of the glove compartment and, and open it up and it explains to you that that symbol actually means certain things. And then you understand. 
See, God did not write any portion of the Bible in such a way that anybody and everybody could have their own private interpretation of what it meant. Sometimes it's straightforward and right before you. It's a historical account that Jesus came and said this and did this, or this was done to him. But there are other portions, such as Revelation and some other portions of the Bible, that is not that way. And then we have to think, what, is, what does this mean? I, I don't understand. I don't, I don't get it. You know, what is the known for this unknown symbolic language picture that we're given? So what do we do? We look at the context. Look at what is it said around there. The context maybe of that, that, that chapter, that book. Ultimately, how does Scripture deal with these kinds of pictures that are more clear to us. So the context of, of Revelation and other portions of Scripture talk about Jesus as being the Lamb. Isaiah 53 talks about the Lamb upon which the sins of the world were placed. And that we are all part of those who, like sheep, have gone astray. Think about that. For what did the Lamb of God, the Lamb of Revelation, Jesus Christ, have to suffer because of what you did or said this week? Now, I'm not talking about some imaginary symbolic sins, but real things. What words came out of your mouth that make your mother cringe? What sinful thought did you have that would scare your kids more than the worst goblin on Halloween? Did you think little of, of taking something that really didn't belong to you this week and think no more of it than the kid at Halloween who, when you put the bowl of candy out, grabs a whole handful and runs? So you and I may scratch our head at times trying to figure out the meaning of Revelation. But we need to have a clear vision of our sins and our sinfulness. And because of them, realize the only vision that we deserve to see is not heaven, but a place far worse than the spookiest, most grotesque, Halloween experience. A place where Satan is real and so are the punishments. Because that vision is of hell. But this same John, who saw this vision of heaven, records the words of a John the baptizer, said, seeing Jesus come, and told the people that were around him, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The poetry of Isaiah 53, and poetry is often filled with symbolic pictures, figurative language. Um, this is not figurative when he declares about Jesus. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace 
was upon him. And we know when that actually happened, when Jesus was nailed to that cross and suffered there. So Jesus is the bridegroom. Who is the bride, though? Who who is the wife of the Lamb? Jesus, in this vision. How about a city? And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high, and he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. We hear these words, we have to think about it. And looking into scripture and see what seems to be the life of the Lamb is represented by the holy city, Jerusalem. But it's in the vision, remember? To the, the writer then to the Hebrews repeats a commonly used thought from the Old Testament. When he writes about believers and says, You have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. So John is not seeing the earthly city of Jerusalem. Something much different. The Apostle Paul taught that the church, all believers in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of all time, were Christ's bride. And he talks about that as heaven is the consummation of that marriage. In Ephesians 5, Paul wrote, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. Beautiful picture, isn't it? But you think about yourself, right? How how could we ever be worthy to be Christ's bride, to be this heavenly Jerusalem? Well, it's because of our bridegroom, right? He washed us. He washed us clean with his blood. He washed us into believing in him and trusting in him, being united to him through the words and water of the holy baptism. And if that happened when you were a baby, talk about a child bride. Paul told the Corinthian believers, I promise you to one husband to Christ. So congratulations, bride of Jesus Christ, the Lamb. That's you and me. Not because of who we are, not because of our beauty or our skills or our ability or some trait in us, but because of God's love and his grace and his mercy, he chose us. He chose us. And he saw that we would be his for time and for eternity. And now the vision goes on in kind of a wedding ring of sorts. When it reads, it shone, and this is the city again, it shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. You know, a huge diamond on a bride, you know, shows off, you know, the glory of this union that she has. 
And maybe the, the, the richness and how much that this bride is appreciated by the bridegroom. But in heavenly Jerusalem, see, the brilliance of the glory of God will, will shine on us, reflect off us, be in us and, and through us. Because we are Christ's bride. When Israel finished the tabernacle in the wilderness, and when the newly completed temple had the tabernacle brought in, the Ark of the Covenant brought in, we're told that the glory of the Lord filled it. So the glory of the Lord has filled us. Filled us here on this earth. We are different. And we are to, we are to shine and to glow with that glory to others that are around us. But not completely, right? We still have a sinful nature that, that, that puts, you know, sprays water on the glory of the Lord and, and doesn't allow it to, to, to shine and reflect off us as it did. But someday, someday it's brilliance and, and, and will be shown when we are in heaven. The highly figurative, the symbolic description of this Jerusalem continues. Talk about the importance of the gates. It had a great wall, high with 12 gates, and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. There were the three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. Here it is pictured that this, this concept of, of safety, of beauty, of perfection, how everything is set up. That's how it's going to be for us in heaven. What do walls do? At least in those days, great walls were for protection. So the picture is in heaven, as we look around and see the great walls, we are reminded that we are safe. We are reminded that there are no enemies that can scale the walls or come through the gates anymore because Christ has defeated all those enemies. No enemy of, as sin, no enemy uh, like Satan, no enemy like, like hell. They're all, they're all gone. This, this feeling of complete an eternal, sincere comfort and safety. We're in God's hands. We're in God's house. We are God's house. What a beautiful picture that is. Then we have the number 12. It seems to abound here in other portions of Scripture, especially in Revelation. What does that mean? Well, we, we see about the 12 tribes of Israel, 12 sons. Right? That picture, that is the complete number. So all are there. The complete number is there. No one is missing. We are there. We are not missing. You say, well, but we're not Israel. Yes, we are. Paul says that the real Israel... The real children of Abraham are not those who are descendants from his, his bloodline, but to those who trust in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And they're all there. In the gates, 
The gates are in every direction of this perfect city, reminding us that, that God would bring these, these tribe, tr 12 tribes of Israel, all believers, from every direction around the earth, from the four corners of the earth. And that's what Jesus said, right? He said, go and make disciples of all nations. That's a privilege we have continuing today to reach out to all nations around the world and all nations who come to this point in the world that we find ourselves in. One lasting thing, the gates for God's people lead to a most amazing city. But there seems to be something missing. I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. For Old Testament believers, the temple in Jerusalem and the things that were in there were a reminder of God's presence here with them. See, but that's not needed anymore. Right? Because Jesus promised where two or three are gathered together, there he would be with them. There was his presence. But in, the, in this holy city, there, there are not any buildings. See, they don't need buildings. They don't need signs to mark God's presence because his presence fills the city. The Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. You don't need something that symbolizes what is there is the best. If the best is there, if the reality is there, you don't need a sign. You don't need a symbol. You don't need anything else to look at. You can, you can see it. You can feel it. You, you, you can be in its presence. And that's... <laughs> yeah, I know. It is more than, than we can really grasp here on this earth. But that's the kind of picture that God wants you to see heaven is like. That place where you are going. That place where you're going to spend eternity is going to be like that. Amazing. Lord God Almighty and the, Lord and the Lamb are its temple. What we receive here intermittently, I mean, through the word, uh, through the sacraments, including Holy Communion that you are going to, many of you, receive very soon. See, we get, we get a taste, a foretaste of what heaven is going to be like. Heaven, when we're going to enjoy that perpetually because we're in God's presence. We will bask in his amazing grace. But something else is missing. He says there's no need for electricity. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor to it. See, the Lamb, this glory of God, and the glorious love that God has for poor sinners like you and like me, to which the, the Son illuminates his saints forever. Again, my mind cannot comprehend that. What exactly is he saying? But, but boy, it is good, it is marvelous, it is spectacular. Aren't you excited to see that light? Some seem, seem hesitant. Are you afraid that you're not going to be let in? 
You know, like there is some kind, some big bad bouncer at the gate said, no, you're not, you're not allowed to come in. Well, not true. Listen to this open door policy. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing to fear. There, there, there's no evil lurking out there. There's no darkness you know, in which something will happen that we can't see that we may be afraid of? No. No need to shut the doors. You know, in, in a perfect paradise, and sometimes uh, this area isn't too far from that, right? You can leave your doors open. You can leave your, your sliding doors, your screen doors, your garage door open. Oh, yeah, but maybe someone might steal something. Well, okay, yeah, let's put the garage door down and... Once in a while, some flies, okay, gosh, there's none of that there, right? That, that picture of everything is open because there's nothing bad in any way, shape, or form. What a thrill. And none deserve privilege to be on this special invitation list. Nothing impure will enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. See, it is indeed an evil, imperfect world, including our sinful nature. It keeps us from the full enjoyment of being, God, of being Christ's bride at this time. But thankfully, this, this is temporal. Heaven is eternal. I wonder if when we get there, we'll like pinch ourselves to see, is, 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 this, is this real, or is this some kind of a dream? See, the thing that we should be amazed by is that Christ has chosen us, put us down on his invitation list. Maybe you've invited something really spectacular and marvelous, some famous person coming out, and you say, well, how did I get on that list? How did you and I get on Christ's list? Out of his grace, right? His, his, his love. He determined he wanted you. He wanted you. He put you there. He saw that you would come to know him and believe in him and trust in him. And is continuing to feed you so you can remain in that relationship. He forgives you when you're unfaithful and when I'm unfaithful. And doesn't have any, any second thoughts about whether we deserve to be on the list. He made it possible for us to be deserved. His life, his death, his resurrection... And we're there. Don't pinch yourself today, but thank God for his grace. For sending his son and choosing us to be his bride. Dedicate yourself to be faithful to him. And when you're not, come quickly to him to receive that forgiveness. But there still is room. Introduce, introduce your bridegroom to those who are, are, are yet wandering in this world, not connected to him, whether it's friends or families or neighbors or, or people that, that, that come for a, a uh, sunshine station or a harvest celebration or a live nativity, right? Share this one, the truth about who Jesus is and your love for him. So they can be there with you in heaven. There still is room. The gates are open. Amen.
Please stand. I invite you to open up your worship folders to page six and we'll see. Jesus is coming back.